0: Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world, with Ani Avedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And you're live. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us for yet another round of Cosmic Cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini Show. The show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's ever-so-interesting little world. And as always... We try to do this with as much grace and empathy as we can muster on any given day. It's not always easy, but we try. We attempt always to rise above the dysfunction of the world and see things from a higher perspective. In other words, we wish to let the spirit inhabit the human. And by spirit, we don't mean vodka or gin. We mean whatever you choose to call supreme cosmic intelligence soul sovereignty is our point of power our rally cry is awaken O my people do not follow the path of the sheeple and do not give your god cause to weeple we believe in freedom of speech we believe in freedom of thought freedom of expression now isn't that first amendment stuff Something like, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The founders of our nation believed that the right to hold and express one's beliefs was essential if citizens were to participate in the affairs of government. And damn right we should be participating in the affairs of government. Individual development and human dignity, it's important for your growth as a person to have the right to present your ideas and to consider other points of view. Your dignity as a person should be respected by allowing you the freedom to say what you think and to hear, listen to what others think. For the advancement of knowledge, it is easier for new discoveries to be made when ideas can be discussed freely Even if you disagree with someone, that person may say something that helps you test your knowledge and increase your understanding. And the maintenance of representative democracy. Individual citizens participate in running our country by voting, we'll talk more about that later, their representatives into Congress and other government officials. Citizens can also participate in making decisions about government policies. To make wise choices, you need to have good information. Free expression does not guarantee complete or accurate information, but it increases the chances of getting such information. And there, my darlings, is our American civics lesson for today, straight from a high school textbook. We here at Metaphysical Martini believe in nurturing a moral compass through alignment with all that is. In a world aligned with higher cosmic purpose Restrictions on expression would be unnecessary. In a world aligned with higher cosmic purpose, a spiritually centered soul could easily discern the true from the poo. In such a world, the state, also known as the front of house for the establishment, would not exist as an authority figure. It would not exist as something outside and seemingly above society. The state the source of all our problems today. So, what is the state? Well, it's everything that makes up coercive government, visible and invisible. As cosmic creators, co-creators, it is our birthright to write our personal and collective stories. And as such, we make a choice each and every day to live either as cosmic activists Or conformist slacktivists. We're overloaded with information today, most of which is purposeful misinformation. And yeah, I know it takes time to sort through the agenda specific garbage and get to the core truth of any matter. But with a little persistence, diligence and focus, it is possible. Some truths are buried deep, but most are not. They're in full view in plain sight. It's just that every time we get close to uncovering them, a great deal of effort is made to distract us. Today's distraction, the distraction du jour, is the coronavirus. Many distractions came before it, especially in an election year. Many more are planned for the future. So unless, that is, we wake up, and take a good hard look at the world we co-created, declare it dysfunctional, and do something about it. But we can't do something about it until we examine where it all went wrong. And in a nutshell, it went wrong because we allowed others, uh, here comes the state, to do our thinking, our creating for us. And if we keep this up for much longer, We're no better than animals in a feedlot being fattened up with poor quality feed, ready for slaughter and consumption. Well, there's a cheery thought, isn't it? Really, people, it's all about soul sovereignty, isn't it? And the other side to that coin is self-sufficiency. Soul sovereignty, self-sufficiency. As much as we can have to go together. Now, we have... I think we're running at about seven and a half billion people on this planet. So it would be immature to suggest that we all go back to being small holding farmers. But if every family and every community can grow and preserve as much food as possible, it will go a long way to breaking the globalist agenda. The globalist agenda is nothing less than a manifesto for global domination by a small but all powerful group of overlords whose ideology has seriously impacted every aspect of our lives, and not in a good way. So just the simple act of learning how to grow a few fruits, a few vegetables, learning how to preserve and ferment them, it goes a long way to breaking the chains of pending totalitarianism. You know, the government that gives you everything, big government, that government can take everything away from you. So let us learn to be as self-reliant as possible for so many reasons. Stop feeding the beast. Take back the feast. It's our feast. We're under the table, a fully laden table, begging for crumbs when all the elite are gorging themselves on food we paid for. Let's stop supporting institutions that do not work for the betterment of mankind, And let's end slavery. Modern day slavery has nothing to do with chains and working in fields. It's about debt. Make every effort to consolidate and eliminate the debt load. Modern slavery is debt and it is by design. So, hey, from my shaman's perspective, not trying to be dramatic here, but look around you. You are seeing endgame scenarios play out. It really is, from my perspective, the clash of good versus evil. The titans are clashing with the gods. The mortals are running around like blue-ass flies, not knowing which side to take. And somewhere in the middle, Perseus presented himself, but nobody's figured it out. Interesting times, hey? (laughs) Those in authority the state, have failed we the people utterly. They treat us like cattle, herd us like sheep, stripping away our individual rights one crisis after another and insisting that we pay them for the privilege of being abused. Could it be argued that the next logical step is anarchy? I mean, true anarchy, as in, anti-authoritarian political and social philosophy that rejects hierarchy as unjust and advocates its replacement with self-managed, self-governed societies based on voluntary cooperative institutions. Is it an option? Well, of course it's an option. It's always an option. But problem is, today's society has forgotten how to self-govern because anarchy, contrary to popular belief, does not have to mean chaos. It requires a moral compass. Back to that again. So the state is busy homogenizing us and dehumanizing us, trying very hard. Privacy's dead. So if that's happened, is anarchy the logical next step? Because you could argue perhaps the upside of the death of privacy is the birth of awareness and integrity. Sounds quite logical, doesn't it? But then again, perhaps not. Who knows? Soul sovereignty, reclaiming our minds, living our lives each and every day in alignment with all that is, supreme cosmic intelligence, so that we're not living our lives through the filter of social conditioning. That is the only way forward. So, enough pontificating from me. I do love a little pontification at the beginning of my shows, the main reason for this show, however, is question and answer. Your questions and, well, I suppose my answers, since I'm the only person in the room right now. So drop us a line and let us know what you would like to talk about. And you can do that two ways. Send your emails to arnie at and your snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Oregon, 97070, USA. <clears> hmm. <throat> all right. So someone asked me the other day, uh, where do you get these questions from or how do you choose them? Well, what I do is I just pull off everything that comes in the email and also all the questions that uh, people ask me in my classes and lectures. And I just pick like 20 and I fold them up and I put them in my sorting hat, which is really sort of a jar. And I'll pick from there. So I kind of know what's in them. But I don't know exactly which ones I'm going to pick. And sort of that, you know, helps me be a little bit more spontaneous. So the first one that I'm picking today comes from a chap called Tyrone. And Tyrone says, Dear Arnie, I may be mentally ill or have OCD. I drive myself nuts by overthinking everything. I come to a decision and then second guess myself. Once that happens, I start the process all over again. I'm tired of living in my head. It's too busy in there. I am driving myself crazy and my friends are having a hard time with it too. Do you have any suggestions? My cousin says it's because my father was always hitting me, telling me my homework was stupid. I rewrote this email about a dozen times before finally forcing myself to set to press send. Whew. Well, Tyrone, it's quite possible your father's behavior contributed to your overthinking by elevating your general anxiety levels. But overthinking in itself is not a mental illness, and it's not necessarily OCD. So OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, is more about um, obsessions and compulsions, obsessive-intrusive thoughts, unfounded suspicions, compulsions to repeat a physical action doing things in a specific order and a almost paranoid fear of uh, contamination from germs so if you have those system those symptoms then i'm going to recommend you go and you chat with a qualified professional because it can be fixed you just need the tools but if it's just overthinking tyrone that's not an uncommon human condition Now, if you believe your father's behavior is the root of your overthinking, then, well, make peace with that, because that will go a long way to breaking the cycle. And there's many different ways that you can do that. I like this thing called EFT, emotional freedom technique, Um, because to me, these behavioral patterns that we have that annoy us so much, I I don't even think of them in in a spiritual sense. I think of them as a glitch in the matrix. Uh, a programming error, you know something resembling one of those irritating pop-ups we get on our computer screens. It can be fixed. and modern day humans we suffer from overthinking because well, we don't take regular time out to relax our minds. we've been trained, haven't we to be results driven. you know do this, then when you've done that, do this, and then do that and then do that and do that. and if you complete your list, then start another one, complete a project, and then do another project. So we associate thinking with doing. And if we're results-driven, we don't feel productive unless we're doing something or thinking about doing something. And in the end, well, it will be our undoing, won't it? So when you find yourself in an endless loop of overthinking, the first thing to do is to break the cycle. Press the pause button. Stop, take a few deep breaths, hydrate your body. We don't just say that, you know, it's important. You've got to have a wet brain, drink. Just sit with yourself. And if you feel the anxiety well up in a particular part of your body, place your hand there while you breathe. And after a few breaths, you should feel the anxiety lessen and dissipate. And when that happens... Say to yourself, look, it's just an old program. It doesn't serve me anymore. I'll overwrite the program now. And you can do that simply by taking three slow, deep, purposeful breaths and just say, my original program is reinstalled. I am calm. I am functional. And then touch the area of the thymus gland as if to reboot your system and then get on with your day. You can do this as many times a day as necessary to break the pattern. Catching yourself and breaking the pattern is the first step. It's very important. So you pause. Observe the self. Release the anxiety. Breathe in the original program of perfection. Touch the reboot button. As an added comment, in my experience, food allergies can play a big part in this type of thing. So don't be surprised if your therapist suggests allergy testing. And if you don't have a therapist, um, make a note of your condition. Um, If it worsens after eating certain foods or drinking certain beverages, sugar, of course, is a big one. You get very agitated with sugar and caffeine. So sugary drinks, that kind of thing. You know, just get yourself a little food journal. How do you feel after eating or drinking a certain thing? Sometimes it takes a village and there isn't one one thing. But if it's just overthinking, just try my little method there and try a few minutes of just breath meditation every day to reboot the system. If you think it's OCD, get some help because that can be fixed, too. Thank you, Tyrone, for bringing that up, because overthinking, well, it's pandemic proportions, really, um, in, in humans today. So let me have a little sip of my drink, which is, oh, gosh, on the other side of the room. Will my headphones reach? Hang on. my headphones reach all right here's another question from our hat of many questions dear arnie are you a pacifist i recently listened to one of your podcasts where you spoke about your passion for trap and skeet shooting did i really okay um would you ever shoot to kill if your life was in danger how do you justify being a spiritual counselor and having shooting as a hobby? Ah, oh, okay. Uh, am I a pacifist? Depends on your interpretation of pacifism. I, am I a person who believes that war and violence are unjustifiable under any circumstances? Or am I a person who believes I have the right to defend myself and my family if our lives are in danger? Well, I am clearly against war. I think it's the height of psychosis. If I was eligible for the draft, I would be a conscientious objector. No way am I putting on tribal colors and murdering my fellow humans at the behest of establishment overlords. I would probably, though, choose to make myself useful... Um, If everybody else is going to war, as a medic or a cook, I'm good at cooking, I'm a good medic, a, a chaplain. I've worked as a chaplain, although, gosh, the craziness of being a chaplain, counseling people who are praying not to die while they're going out to kill other people. The whole thing is just psychotic, but I would probably serve as a chaplain. Something many of my friends in the same line of work have stated they would not do. They would jump ship rather than support any part of the war effort. Uh, Okay, would I ever shoot to kill? I can't answer that question because it, well, it hasn't come up. I keep my shotgun and my 22 caliber plinker at the club, so unless someone threatens my life during shooting practice, which honestly is highly unlikely, shooting ranges are some of the safest places, um, I won't have the opportunity, thank God, to shoot to kill with a gun. But you didn't ask me if my life was in danger, if I would employ any other methods to kill the aggressor. If that was the only way of stopping him or her, I'm pretty sure I would do whatever I could to prevent my family being harmed. As a shaman, I have a few tricks up my sleeve designed to disorient and disarm. Uh, You'd be surprised. (laughs) I'd much rather do that than put holes in someone or smack them over the head with my heavy Calphalon fry pan. But I would do both of those things if I had to. So to answer your question, then, in the truest sense, probably not a pacifist, then, but definitely not one to instigate aggression. I don't keep my guns at home for two reasons. One, I honestly don't have room for clay pigeon shooting in my suburban apartment and my living room isn't long enough for a plinking range. And I think my partner would uh, object to uh, unripe fruit being shot all over the place. It would mess up the carpet. Uh, and the second reason, of course, well, not I do not fear my neighbours. I, I don't fear the neighbourhood. The state, however, well, that's another matter. In a culture like America, where we're accustomed to having our guns, and it's our amendment rights to have our guns, when the state wants to disarm you, believe me, it's time to buy more guns, which is what many will be doing if they keep pushing for disarmament. And at that time, I will be bringing mine home and probably upping the calibers. So let's hope it never comes to that. I enjoy recreational shooting. I love clay pigeon shooting. I love the zen of it. Just being in the outdoors and pull, squeeze, shatter. It's it's fun. And I'm a decent shot. Well, I'm better than Dick Cheney's anyway. That's not saying much, though, is it? All righty. Now, before we continue with Q&A, I have a little note here that I wanted to uh, to share Um, I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone for their support and encouragement for both this Cosmic Reality Radio podcast and for my own YouTube channels. I really appreciate the emails and the postcards. I'm grateful for all the subscribes, the likes, the shares. You know, I don't do this because I'm bored. (laughs) I'm not bored. I do this to promote awareness and to encourage dialogue. And and thank you for that. Thank you for supporting me in that everyone deserves to be heard. Freedom of speech is sacred. Please don't let anyone tell you otherwise or attempt to regulate or sanitize your thought process. We are sovereign souls. We own our minds. All right. I think I've hammered that home enough today. Um, let me say also thank you for all the little gifts some of you leave outside my office door. And I'd like to say something about that. Okay, I'm honored that you would take time out of your day to choose a token of support and drive out to my office on the off chance that I might be there. As so much of my work is out on location. I don't keep regular hours, but it's a small building and it's quite safe, blah, blah, blah. But if I may just respectfully point out, there is a fine line between support and stalking. (laughs) Please attach a note to your gift so I can thank you properly and not feel creeped out. Some of the gifts are of a very partisan nature. And I can understand why some of my comments would appeal um, to people who are more right-wing than left-wing. But these are extreme in nature. I am not an extremist of the left or the right I am the main body. So um, just leave me a note. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have to install a security system to see who the heck you people are. But thanks for all the fun gifts. All right. Put that to rest and move on. Back to Q&A. Here's another one. Dear Ani, given the high level of addiction in the USA, Why do you promote the consumption of martinis? Hmm. Let me have a sip of my drink before I answer that. Oh, lovely. Okay. Right. Well, addiction covers many substances, doesn't it? Food is probably the number one problem in America. Uh, America, land of the free refill. (laughs) If I called my show Celestial Strawberry Shortcake, would you accuse me of promoting obesity? I clearly state at the end of each show that moderation is the key. One properly mixed cocktail is plenty. And I have to say, as adults, we are expected to take responsibility for our actions It's unreasonable for someone to expect others to refrain from the enjoyment of partaking of a substance just because they are unable to do so in a functional manner. So I guess that's my response. I mean, I applaud anyone out there who has overcome alcohol addiction. It's not easy. It's everywhere. Just go to the shop, buy it. It's legal. Any addiction for that matter I mean, good for you for reclaiming your minds from the insidious field of self-sabotage. It takes guts. Self-awareness, self-evaluation, it takes guts. I salute you all. But I'm not going to call my show something else because people are alcoholics. You know, it's, it's silly. I mean, I, I thank you for the question. It, it brings up a good point. But I think that's taking political correctness and trying to erode people's intellect and freedom of expression to the extreme. So hooray for anybody who enjoys moderate drinking and and enjoys it, and it's not a health hazard. And hooray for everybody who's overcome their addictions. We all rock. So that's my answer to your question. Thank you. It was a good question. Appreciate it. And here's another one. And this is from someone who calls themselves Curious Hedgehog. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dear Annie, I heard you mention aliens visiting heaven on a previous show. How is that possible? Are the aliens dead and in spirit form? How can the living visit a spirit realm? My understanding of what heaven is and isn't is now in question. Please could you explain what heaven is, why heaven exists, and what happens there? All right, Curious Hedgehog, let's give it a shot, shall we? All right, so um, let's start just with your questions line by line. Um, I probably did mention something about aliens visiting heaven on a previous show. How is it possible? Are the aliens dead? Well, not necessarily. Now, every physical planet has its other side, its spirit realm, the place where souls recuperate in between these difficult incarnations that we have. And it exists, of course, on a different dimensional frequency. And dimensions are, well, they're places, but think of dimensions as levels of awareness. So if we're predominantly on this planet, a third dimensional physical reality, and nirvana or heaven you know, it carries higher dimensions. It carries our spirit bodies and it carries all of the higher dimensions up there. Then an alien who lives in a fourth dimensional world can pop into a spaceship and physically visit our heaven. It's our spirit realm, but for them, it's just a realm that vibrates pretty close to what is their physical realm. So you can be in physical form and have a physical life right up until upper fifth causal dimension. And I hope that makes sense. I hope I explained that well. So it's really a question of how how much love you have in your heart, or what the common vibration of your realm is. I can't go to heaven in my physical body. I have to do soul journey. I have to send my astral body there. But if I was an alien, a Palladian or whatever, in either lower or mid-level fourth. I could take a shuttlecraft and visit it as I would any other realm. So that's how a living person can visit what is a spirit realm to us. So, and then you also asked, what is heaven? Well, like I said, every planet has a heaven, and it is the other side to that planet. When our physical bodies die, our souls wrap themselves up in the light body, the aura, the chakras, all the memory of that particular incarnation second by second wraps it up in the soul off it goes to heaven and you have started the next level of your, you know, so you're resting, you're resting and recuperating in between incarnations. When you get to heaven, you're still you. You don't have your body, but you're still you. You're still your personality. Uh, and then once. You figured out why you're there. The circumstances of everybody's passing are different. You know, you're processed lovingly by people there, and you know you, you eventually you'll do your life review, you'll have a look at your life, what you achieved, what you didn't achieve, and then you'll come into what we call your cumulative soul experience. You won't be just your personality anymore. You'll remember all of the incarnations that you had. And in terms of, you know, why does heaven exist? Well, it exists for rest and recuperation. But what happens there is so much more than rest and recuperation. The evolution of our souls. I mean, you you don't actually have to come back into a physical realm. You can stay in heaven, go to other planets, go to other heavens. So it's so much more than we've been told. We were told at school, you go and when you die, Jesus would love you and you'd go and you'd float on a cloud forever and that would be heaven and you'd play the harp and strawberry shortcake didn't have calories and life would be just wonderful and it would all be music and uh, there's music there, there's everything there, but we recreate different levels of experience. I go there quite a lot. There are many different levels of vibration there. I mean, just think about it. Everybody who dies on this planet has to go through heaven before they go anywhere else. So you've got people with very low levels of consciousness and awareness, all the way up to people who are possibly Christed. So when you go to heaven, you will be received in your appropriate vibrational frequency. And if you go there in trauma and you're terribly, terribly sick, uh, they actually have what I call MASH units, mobile angelic spiritual hospitals, floating just underneath heaven where they take care of you and bring you back together again till you're strong enough to regain the personality that you lost through trauma or drink or drugs before moving you up into heaven proper. I'll oh, share a little dream I had with you just very recently because um, I do a fair amount of work up in heaven um, as a sort of a social worker. Um, and this was just last night. So I enter one of these realms, an in-between realm, One that I wasn't very familiar with at all. And I'm walking around and it looks like a deserted small town in America at night. Not necessarily creepy, just not really buzzing. And I'm walking around this place looking for somebody I'm supposed to meet. And I see a diner at the end of the street. And I head for the diner. The lights are on. I walk inside and everybody stares at me. And it's all a specific type of they're all white skinned and it's a specific type of demographic, sort of a a specific East Coast working class demographic. And everyone stares at me with sort of fright in their eyes. Not that I'm frightening to look at, I don't think. But I go over to the waitress and I say to her, hey, I'm here to meet so and so. And she said, that's okay, great. You can just have a seat. I'll pour you a cup of coffee. And uh, they'll be along shortly. I turned around to look at all of these people, and all of them looked as if they had their faces bashed in, horribly bruised, really bruised, and they all look really traumatized. So after a while, I said to the waitress, who are these people? And where exactly am I? And she said, oh, hon, these are all people that died from meth and crystal. And their brains were so torn apart, so full of holes, that they didn't remember who they were when they came up here. So this is a sort of a holding area where we put their personalities back together. And when they feel good enough, somebody will come and take them up to heaven proper. So there's all these little interactions and all these different realms there. You know, you don't just die in a trauma and all of a sudden you're fine. I mean... You'll be taken very good care of wherever you go, but it's a vibrational match. So I could talk for hours about what heaven is and isn't. It's so much more than just rest and recreation. Um, There's a really good book, if you'd care to read it. It's by Suzanne Ward, and it's called Matthew, Tell Me About Heaven. One of the best books I've read about heaven because I I go to heaven a lot and it's the only book that I've read that I really resonated with that, that, that experience. So curious hedgehog dimensions, levels of awareness, not necessarily places. And then again, all points in space and time exist simultaneously. So what's a place and what is time? And I think possibly our last question for today from a Nonny mouse. Dear Ani. Do you honestly believe we are going to enter the new golden age? When I look around me, I despair. People are paralyzed in fear. There is an epidemic of verbal diarrhea. People talk their mouths off, but have no idea what they are saying. Everyone is lost. Everyone is angry. All I see is despair. All I see is people screaming at each other, screaming, not listening. Every other person I know suffers from depression and or mental illness. The food is poisoned. The water is poisoned. The skies are poisoned. Dude, you're killing me here. Our minds are poisoned. It's chaos. I almost wish some master race from a galaxy far, far away would swoop down from the stars and blow the human race out of existence. I'm not religious. But all those seals religious people talk about seem to be breaking open, and the filth is pouring in. I say we vote for wholesale spontaneous combustion. Hey, we tried. It didn't work. What's the point of hanging in for a slow and miserable death? No one gets it. The governments of the world are never going to be responsive to the needs of the people. They will never stop taking bribes from businesses and banking interests. Let's just end it now. Perhaps God will let us start again somewhere else and try again. (coughs) Oh, I am so depressed from reading this. (laughs) And it's signed, respectfully, Ezra. And in brackets, I am normally a cheerful person, but sometimes it gets to me and I cry. Oh, Ezra. And I'll bet at least one pound, that's not your real name, I hope you cheer up soon. Yes, it's a bit of a mess to say the least, but why are we here? I mean, awakening is our mission here on a physical realm, and we need something to awaken from. And right now, you know, everything that you mentioned in your email, well, yeah, I think those are all the things that we're awakening from. But take heart, all of this craziness, etc., it's just the shattering of the illusion. Things did get crazy, things did get out of control, people are out of control, but there is awakening. And because we're in a time of illumination post-2012, we don't need 51% critical mass. A lesser percentage serves us just as well for critical mass i know it gets frustrating but you know we are co-creators we can't just step back and go oh you know wow we can't deal with this anymore we messed up for as long as we're alive as long as the planet is standing i don't want an alien race to come and obliterate us all the planet mother earth doesn't deserve to be obliterated you know it's difficult but that craziness that you are feeling that's the change Yep, I believe we're in sort of end game scenario, but I do believe that good trumps evil each and every time. So a few years ago, Bernie Sanders, I believe, um, was supposed to be the one, everyone told me on the other side and on the spaceships, that he was going to win as an independent because we all know the Democratic Party is really, well, I'm sorry to say, it's just some sort of fascism in disguise, really. It's a sort of faux liberal agenda. Not complimenting the Republicans either. Both parties are broken. But Bernie Sanders caved in at the most crucial moment, just when he was going to win as an independent. I don't know what that woman, we know who that woman is, but I don't know what that woman threatened him with, but he backed down. And we had to have uh, Trump step in. And yeah, I agree with you. You know, we're in trouble. Voting doesn't make a difference because the shadow government will always be in place unless it's exposed and prosecuted. And then, you know, that's happening. My dear depressed friend, that is happening now. And when that happens and it's completed, the multi-party system will be replaced with one governing body, not with flip-flopping wings. And you won't be allowed to change money. You know, money won't be able to change hands when policy is written. Yes, we have been set up for failure, but we are waking up. And yes, we are beginning to reclaim our sovereign souls and our minds. We are beginning to extricate ourselves from this theater of the absurd. So please don't give up. Don't give up. Let's just accept that the systems currently in place are designed to polarize and not to unite. They can't be fixed. Something that's set up to fail can't be fixed. That's, what, that's why everyone's angry. Everyone's confused. They don't get why they're so angry, they're supporting these systems every four years, rah, 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 this party, rah, 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 that party, just, it's all bollocks, the lot of it, you know, you can't be fixed, it needs to be dismantled and rebuilt in alignment with, um, well, divine cosmic principles. So regroup yourself, my dear depressed friend, the divine did not create us so that we could be afraid of our own shadows and cower when presented with challenges, We were created in the waveform of the divine, co-creators. We are problem solvers. We have problems, I admit, but let's put our heads together and solve them. Let me share a quote with you from Buckminster Fuller, if I can remember the quote. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, you build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Now, and this is me talking now, the problem we have today is that millions of people have not yet figured out that the existing system is obsolete. That's the main problem. Okay. I thank you for your question. Take heart. Go for a walk. Have a little martini. Cheer up. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Keep them coming. And a reminder that you don't have to ask a question per se. You can just write in and say anything you want. Um, Hopefully nothing rude. Just put forward a comment for debate, if you like, and ask your fellow listeners to write in with their comments. And in time, as we get the hang of doing this show, we might, you know, have questions and answers and, I don't know, make it a little bit more interactive. But the whole purpose of this is to be able to hear what you want to talk about. It's not about what I want to say. I have a whole YouTube channel for that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for those questions. And what shall we do now? Where's my kazoo? I really need to to learn how to play that thing. Uh, All right. I think it's time for a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks. After a hard day's shamaning. I like nothing better than coming home to a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, putting my feet up and writing really bad, non-peer-reviewed poetry. Why have Robert Frost and literary prowess when you can have a cosmic arnie and a whole lot less? Today's offering, I think I've got three short ones today. So the first one is called uh, Jelly Mind. And all of my poems in uh, stages are available on my YouTube channel. Just put Ani Avadisian in the YouTube search bar, and all manner of weird and wonderful and wacky stuff will come up. Jelly Mind, thank you very much. If we believe the spin doctors' news, we've fallen for their trap to keep us confused. If we view our lives through the lens of our telly, two years from now, our minds will be jelly. Our minds are our own, but it seems we've forgotten. We gave them away, and now they're soft, damp cotton. There once was a time when we valued free will. Now we can't tell the truth from a crook or a shill. And here's a couple of light-hearted quickies from my alien poetry collection, which I hope to have published by the autumn of this year. The first one is called, We Don't Want Your DNA. Written from the perspective of aliens. Earthlings, your elders have misled you. Theirs is a false agenda. Remove them, for they are pretenders. We will not dissect your frontal lobes. We will not perform the anal probes. We have no interest in your brains or butts. They are frankly inferior. And you, dear humans, are all nuts. I quite like that one. <laughs> and uh, the last one, a very short one, this one's called... A no tart zone, and um, and that's tart as in the flavour, not as in the London colloquialism of a loose and cheap woman. Because I would never write about that sort of thing. No tart zone. Our world is more evolved than yours, but with less contrast comes less flavour. We have no cranberries. I think that one's a bit of a work of art, don't you? I'm sure it'll win many prizes in many different places. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, because if you were didn't enjoy it, you're probably pretty bored and uh, would have been a good time for you to go and put the kettle on. So, had a couple of letters recently saying, Arnie, you didn't do the philosophy last time. It's true. I didn't. I apologize. So, I guess we'll do the philosophy. So now it is time for Plato Chips. And this is a little segment where we quote and take note of a philosopher of note. And today's choice is Epicurus. Yes, Epicurus. Everybody associates him with uh, eating and drinking and making merry. But you know, that's not what he was all about at all. So what do we know about Epicurus or as we called him at school, epic cured meats? Haha, ha, you're so funny when you're ten. So Epicureanism, a system of philosophy based on the teachings of Epicurus, founded around three hundred seven BC. <clears throat> and it actually teaches us that the very best thing you can attain in life is to seek modest pleasures moderation in all things, and attain a state of tranquility, freedom from fear, which uh, is called ataraxia, and an absence from bodily pain, which is called abonia, my best Greek accent, abonia. So Epicurus, he really wanted people to be simple, not to complicate lives. He wanted people to limit their desires so as not to set up unreal expectations because, as we all know, living in an ego-driven world, being material people, when expectations are not met, we become quite miserable. So, in his book, pleasure was about, you know, learning, knowledge, all of that, but friendship was big with him. Living a virtuous life, a temperate life, simple pleasures. And he was one for abstaining from bodily desires. He himself was celibate. He thought, you know, well, you can't really do a lot of sex because then you'll just want more sex. And then your partner will probably get fed up with all that sex. And then you'll be disappointed because you won't be getting any sex. And the same thing with appetites for food and for drink, moderation in all things. So he said, don't eat too richly, don't eat too much, don't eat too much luxurious food that costs too much, Because you'll be dissatisfied later, and not just by indigestion, but also by the grim realization that you won't be able to afford eating luxurious foods, perhaps, all of your life. And yes, uh, stop with all that bonking, because it leads to increased lust and dissatisfaction, and, uh, you know, best not to bother with things like that. So quite the opposite of of the sort of hedonism that he's uh, associated with these days. And he said, learn, you know, learn about the world. Do learning. Knowledge is power. But don't go mad. Don't overthink. Don't go crazy. Don't do anything that would disturb your peace of mind. And above all, just get rid of all this religious fear and superstition and take all this thought of the gods and death and all of that out of your head. Just be a purveyor of common sense, of simple pleasures. He wasn't interested in in politics, shunned it, you know, and well, how wonderful to have that, uh, to have that luxury. He said, if you, you know, involve yourself in government and politics and all of that, then you won't have ataraxia and you won't have abonia and uh, then you'll have all these unsatisfiable desires and you'll be frustrated. So that was his thing. It's like, you know, moderation, moderation, moderation. Um, now, of course, the Christians misinterpreted his message, and he was out of favor for quite a while. And people, right up until the late Roman period, he was very popular. But then he was forgotten about until this French philosopher, and I think he was also a Catholic priest. His name was uh, uh Pierre Gassendi, and this would have been in the 1600s sometime. Um, he found some of these lost writings of Epicurus and, uh, you know, brought them forward so people could know exactly what he was he, he was about. And we learned from those writings that Epicurus, because he wrote a lot of stuff, but it all got lost, as happens, you know, um, he was one that emphasized um, something about the neutrality of the gods. In other words, he sort of kind of believed probably there are gods But he didn't think they particularly liked or interfered with humans. I mean, he didn't deny the existence of the gods. And he wasn't exactly completely an atheist. And he thought perhaps they're immortal. But he honestly rejected the notion that they had any interest in mortal life um, or benefiting mortals in any way. So why would we want to worship them? And he denied, uh, rejected actually, any possibility of an afterlife um, because he really didn't want people to fear death. So I suppose it was a very practical philosophy that he had, a very temporal, practical, physical philosophy. And I'm sure you've all read or heard of the paradox of Epicurus. Um, It's the earliest known description of the Problem of evil, um, part of the philosophy of religion. Um, It's that famous argument against the existence of an all powerful and providential God. So it goes thusly, if God is willing to prevent evil, but is not able to, then he is not omnipotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he is malevolent. If he is both able and willing, then why is there such a thing as evil? And if he is neither able nor willing, then why call him God at all? Interesting parallel there, I think, for some of the Buddhist texts, um, that whole lack of divine interference uh, thing, you know, but it's all to do with uh, being temperate, because when you're temperate, you don't give, give in to great excess. And, an addiction to great excess like that, that leads to dissatisfaction. So one can't say he didn't have a point, you know. So let's sum him up. How shall we sum him up? Because I'm determined we're going to do the tarot today before the hour closes. Uh, let's see. So I think he thought that all three, that all humans made the same three big mistakes, which is we think that romantic relationships, sexual relationships makes us happy. But he observed how many couples were possessive and jealous, um, and they had their expectations unmet. So he decided that friendship, platonic friendship, was the way to go. And he decided that seeing your friends often was the best thing that you could possibly do. He also looked at people who sacrificed so much to make money, and he questioned whether it was worth it. You know, perhaps he said we could do with less and be happier. You know, how much of our precious time are we exchanging for money with absolutely no guarantee that we're going to be physically or mentally stable enough in the later years to enjoy the fruits of that labor? And he thought that all of us were obsessed with luxury. And why should we be fixated on luxury? Is it just a show off thing? Or did we think that by accumulating money and having luxury, we could buy serenity? Buy serenity, buy a yacht, buy a big house in the country, move away from the world, leave the world behind. So he surmised that we seek luxury because we think it buys us calm. But, you know, it leaves us at liberty to leave the chaos of the world behind. But his thinking is why go through all the bother of working your ass off to get the money to buy the luxury to separate you from the world? Just skip that step, man. Just go live in a shack somewhere. And and be happy. And he did that, you see. He lived with his friends in his commune. He had a lovely commune, and it was called the Garden. The Garden was a big house, huge grounds, garden, private private areas, communal areas. He invited his friends to live there, and many of them did. They gave up their outside employment and basically chose to serve each other with their skill set who um, instead of pursuing luxury, they focused on inner calm. They made lovely meals, they walked, they read, they meditated, they talked to flowers, um, discussed philosophy. Um, a very successful commune, and women were treated as equals. And it just as a matter of policy, they, they just were allowed in. This wasn't a time where necessarily women were treated as equals, uh, certainly, they weren't invited to great philosophical debates. So this garden, it wasn't just one commune. As I read that at its height, at the height of its popularity, communes from Spain to Palestine with over 400,000 members existed based on um, Epicurus' garden commune concept. And now 400,000 members That's huge. If you consider that the population of the entire known world at that time was, well, I don't know what it was, but it was much less than it is today. It was definitely in the millions and not in the billions. And those sites, he picks them carefully because many of the Christian monasteries that we have now are built on the sites of those communes. And I read recently that uh, Karl Marx, do you remember him? Yes, Karl Marx. He wrote his Ph.D. thesis on Epicurus and the commune system. And that's where he got his communism from, no doubt. But unfortunately, what turned out to be modern-day communism was a sort of a bastardized, corrupted version of Epicurus' original concept So if we're going to sum him up in a nutshell, Epicurus, we are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. (laughs) I certainly can't deny that. Certainly can't deny that. So philosophy, people, I wish they would teach that in school, the fundamentals of philosophy. It teaches us how to think. Very important. And golly, I don't really have time to do the tarot. (laughs) So I'll plan this a little better next time. Just a quick word, though, for those of you who want to know what I'm up to on any given day. I'd like to know what I'm up to on any given day. Visit my website, ArnieAbedisian.com. I have all sorts of classes, lectures, public speaking engagements, blah, 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 YouTube videos, podcasts. I'm a busy little bee. Check it out. Drop me a line. Come see me if you're in the greater Portland area. And all a list, a list of my services are on the website. So just check it all out, check it all out, check it all out. Um, and I think I'm going to say, with one minute to go, I want to make my producer happy, not go over, not go under. I'm going to say, well, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording the show because I had a blast, I always do. I'm still on my diet, so no real-life martini to share with you, just cranberry juice on the rocks. Ah, the taste of sadness. (laughs) I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.